Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast, where we discuss HR best practices, hot topics, strategy, and employment law changes that affect small business. I'm your host, Brandon Laws of Zenium HR. Our website is www.zeniumhr.com, where you can follow us, read articles, listen to our recent podcasts, or contact us. Thanks for listening and enjoy the topic in this episode. Welcome everybody and thanks for listening today. Our guest today, Benjamin Prinzing, the founder and one of the partners at Catalyst. They're a company in Portland, Oregon that specializes in outcomes-based health management strategies. Welcome, Benjamin. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about how to create successful wellness programs. So let's dive right into the questions. And I want to ask you, why do you think wellness programs recently have been become so important? And what do you think the purpose is behind them? Quite frankly, it, it will depend on, on actually who you ask. You know, for some groups, uh, they, they're a means to improve employee uh, morale and, and have better retention. Others, it's about driving down healthcare costs. And now we're seeing groups uh, wanting to take a look at wellness, the workers' comp strategy, uh, due to injuries being related back to actual health conditions. So the really the ultimate purpose behind them is, is of course, to improve employee health, but it's to do that in order to fix a problem. Again, if an employer, um, if I help my team get healthier, they'll probably you know stick around longer, and we know they'll need to go see doctors less, and studies are now showing that they'll actually be injured less. Uh, unfortunately, I see a lot of companies getting into wellness, but not really knowing the why. So the key is to figuring out the why behind the wellness program and design it accordingly versus you know throw, throwing spaghetti at a wall. Do you feel like the, the purpose for each company is going to be different. So, so for one company, it may be, let's implement a wellness program so we can reduce premiums. And for others, it may be, hey, we have uh, absenteeism problems. Let's uh, develop a wellness program to help engage our employees and get them feeling better so they come to work a lot more often. What do you think about that? Yeah, if the companies are definitely have their similar uh, interests in, in wellness programs, but uh, often, you know, there, there's a little bit of uh, differences. You know, we have a group that their average age is 27. You know, out of 150 employees, they have only 50 on the health plan. So healthcare is not even on the radar for them right now as, a, as an issue. Um, so it's all about, you know, retention, job satisfaction. They've been one of the top 100 companies to work for, you know, for five years running. Now, how can we continue to make that uh, happen and wellness just seemed to be the natural fit, um, you know, for, for them. Where other organizations, um, yesterday I met with a group that just got a rate increase of 18%. Now they shifted all that cost on their employees, and the statement I got was, "We're super embarrassed that we had to do that. We couldn't, you know, front that bill for them. So we need to do something so we can show our employees that we're loyal to them and that we're not just trying to throw cost onto them." At the end of this interview, I want to make sure that you give out your, your website address because you have a lot of great information out there. But I want to ask you, on your website, you outline four different wellness program models, outcome, activity, action, and awareness-based. What do you think the best way to determine what kind of wellness program is right for a certain type of company? Sure. Uh, you know, the program models um, really should be chosen based on data that supports that model. Uh, which is done one step prior during the needs analysis phase. So you uh, have to determine your goals of the program and getting back to that why. And if you know uh, you need to better control healthcare costs, 
then an awareness program model is not going to be the right fit. So assessments uh, we are used to hearing all about in the industry, of course, are you know health risk assessments, biometric screenings, and claims data, but there are many other data sources uh, that uh, an employer can pull from. Uh, for example, if you knew the goal of a program was to, again, you know, improve morale and retention, you probably got the information verbally from senior leadership who probably got the information from a report on turnover or perhaps a job satisfaction survey. So the, the program models are really there to, to put, create a framework for you. So based on what your goals are, um, that will kind of guide you to where you need to go. So if you're trying to do an actual health improvement program you know, for your workforce, then probably an activity-based or action-based program is going to be more appropriate. If you're really looking at controlling healthcare costs and you're looking at maybe a three-year strategy where you would like some responsibility put back on the employee based on health risk, then that outcomes-based, results-based program is going to be the right uh, program model for you. If a company starts with a wellness program such as just really activity-based, how do you switch from an activity-based program to something like an outcomes-based program? seems like it would be kind of hard to, to transition. The key here is definitely going to be planning. So you've got to know when you're going to make that transition, and you've got to know what that transition is. So if we are going to go from an activity-based in year one to an outcomes-based in year two, we got to put a roadmap together and plan that out. And so that way we have um, ability to communicate, you know, what those changes are going to be way in advance. And typically we see, you know, program models changing from, from year to year. So there's plenty of time uh, to communicate that out to them and roll out the new initiatives that are going to be aligned with that new program model. I'm gonna, I want to talk about the activity-based program a little bit because I think it's, it's interesting because I think it, it definitely dovetails into, you know, how, how to develop a great culture within a company. But I want to ask you, what when should you have team activities versus individual activities within the wellness program? Sure, that's another another great great question. And uh, unfortunately, I'd have to answer that question with a couple other questions. Um, you know, it's what what program model um, was uh, was chosen. So that was obviously going to reflect what type of activities that you're going to do uh, throughout throughout the year. Um, and also, what what's the staffing look like? Is there someone internally that's you know dedicated? Um, to to running the program because team-based activities typically uh, take a little bit more time and effort uh, to manage and run and track uh, versus individual act- activities. So um, I would definitely start with, you know, if you're going to do team-based activities, we got to make sure that we have the proper tools um, to be able to track those programs as well as the proper staffing to make sure that that's, you know, being managed uh, efficiently. I want to talk to you about the strategy behind launching a wellness program. How do you? How important do you think it is to build a brand around the wellness program? So I'm a marketing person myself, and I know that building a brand isn't just a logo. It's your communication. It's the the perception of what the wellness program is and, and the purpose behind it. So how do you how do you build that and do you think it's important to, to have? Absolutely. I think it is absolutely I think it's actually critical um, to have it because if you don't have a brand or even a, naming it, um, it gives it no life. And what we want to do is create a face, you know, for the wellness program so they see it everywhere on the flyers that go out, on, you know, the posters, on the email communication. Um, it's it's everywhere, and so it just provides some provides some life into the into the program. And you know, it takes time to build. Obviously, build a brand. I mean, you can 
have a choose a name and, and choose a logo, but that's not necessarily, as you mentioned, a brand. Um, and so we need to, you know, start developing that with, you know, by forming maybe a small committee to come together and help, you know, developing what that name's going to be, what really, what's, what's this program mean, you know, to our workplace. And often we've seen, you know, people that have, you know, obviously a marketing department or a marketing manager like yourself that can come in and, and help influence, you know, that kind of branding initiative. And when you look at de- developing a logo for your program, often, you know, there's probably an artist within the workplace that can come in and help, you know, design a graphic. Uh, we actually worked with a group um, recently that they didn't have anybody that was comfortable um, designing a logo. So we went out to Portland State University and to the graphic design department and said, hey, we need a wellness program look. Would your students be interested in, in, in designing one for us? And they did. We had about over, I think, over 20 students uh, post their wellness program logo, and we picked one from them, and they could use that in their in their portfolio. And it didn't cost the employer anything. Yeah, talk about a good use of crowdsourcing. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's getting getting creative uh, with that as well, too. You don't need to actually, obviously hire a, a marketing brand, you know, company to do this. We can get creative on on a budget, um, even on the branding piece. Time is often an issue for a lot of employers, employees, and it'd be easy to make that excuse not to participate in in the wellness program for a, for a lack of time. So how do you go about encouraging participation from everybody, including employers who are the ones launching the program um, from the very beginning? Yeah, participation from all employees is very much dependent, again, on how the program is designed on how it's communicated, and even more importantly, uh, the state of the culture has a huge influence on participation. Uh, we recently had a, a health risk assessment launch with a group of ours that had a 90% participation rate on a voluntary program, and these are employees that are spread across 35 locations, and that was absolutely amazing, um, but I've seen it hard for groups that have 50 employees get 50% um, that are all in one location working an 8-5 to five job. Um, again, it gets back to really that communication strategy is probably lacking. So the goal here is to find out from staff who aren't participating why they're not participating and ask what you could do differently for them to get them to. Um, that is exactly where I would start. Um, in terms of lack of time, um, we like to make sure that the wellness activities are on pay time. Again, this is supposed to be about the culture and about the workplace. This is an initiative that everyone can, you know, participate in. And so if we separate it from paid time to non-paid time, it really creates a, a, a mixed message. It's, it's we want to encourage people to, to take an, an active role in their health. And what better way to do that saying, hey, this is actually on paid time. So, hey, when you take that health risk assessment, make sure you don't clock out. When you come to the screening event, don't clock out and know that this is absolutely free. Uh, for you to to attend and get your blood drawn. So using words like that and free and don't clock out and stay clocked in, um, if we can get buy-in from management to make sure that this these activities are on paid time and obviously not, you know, taking advantage of it where we're gone for hours at, at a time. I'm talking about, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes for different, you know, initiatives plays a huge role in combating the issue of, well, I don't have time. Well, we just created time for you because it's now on pay time. It seems to me that the the peer pressure alone and the kind of the social aspect of the wellness programs would help encourage participation all across uh, the employee base. But I know a lot of companies are using incentives. What sort of incentives have you seen to help uh, drive participation and um, 
Yeah, anything unique that, that you've seen that you'd want to share with the group? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen all kinds of in- incentive programs uh, developed, some that have been great, some that don't work, and some that are just that are, are not necessary. Like the group that just had a 90% participation rate with their HRA, there isn't any incentive. There's no raffle prizes. There's no gift cards going out. It was a very different approach where the CEO wanted to build intrinsic value within his team because they wanted to participate and he wanted them to participate, not because we're throwing money money at them. But this particular CEO has an amazing relationship with his staff, and that's not always the the that's not that's not always the case with other groups that that we, that we work with, and so incentives might be required. So I've seen groups that throw a ton of money at um, the health plan. Um, to get people to participate because there's really no one managing the program. They're just saying, hey, if you can check these boxes off, we'll give you an extra $500 a year, you know, towards your health care premium. But they're just completing activities. They're not necessarily having to, you know, get healthier. We've seen groups where we did uh, raffle prizes for completing certain activities, you know, throughout the year. We created a wellness bingo game that had 20 squares on it uh, for a group, and they have to complete, you know, one square a quarter is part of their health plan requirement of getting 100% paid for, and just one a quarter is all they have to do. But the, the great thing was, is we one upped it and says, not only do you, we're going to pay for your 100% for your premiums, but you'll also be entered in a raffle um, every single quarter for completing one activity. Well, they only had to do four for the year, and we already have 50 per, over 50% of that population has completed over 10 squares. Some have already completed you know 20 of them. The CFO of that company actually completed all 20 squares within the first two weeks of the program. So it really gets back to culture and really what makes sense, you know, for, for the group. You know, are incentives going to be important? Do they actually influence behavior with groups where other groups it might not be the case? So I would start out with a pilot, maybe doing some activities on a voluntary program and seeing and how, how that goes, and then working on other programs and offering incentives or some kind of raffle and seeing what the participation, you know, how, how that fluctuates, and then model it there. Don't just throw money at everything to start to have a kind of a balance so you're not just throwing away money just for the sake of throwing money at it. This isn't the first time I've heard you mention the wellness being going. Uh, we actually, at Zenium, we have a formal wellness program, and we took that idea that you had mentioned, with the wellness bingo, and we created a little challenge out of it. And I just wanted to give listeners a sense for how successful that actually was for us. We created a, a wellness bingo square and put various activities throughout it. We, I think one square was you know, no alcohol for a week. Another square was exercise three times for 30 minutes during a week, and then you kind of get the picture, but the, the, you just basically try to cross off little things throughout the uh, throughout the weeks, and we actually ran this for about three months during the summer, and a, very, a lot of success. And we, I think for the for the winter, we did a raffle for like uh, for a gift card or something. But I wanted to just mention that that I thought that was such a good idea, Ben, and um, employees really like that. So for any listeners looking for activity based things, I, I would definitely encourage them to, to create something like that. Oh, that's great to hear. So I wanted to ask you on definitely the strategy side of things. How do you determine who becomes in charge of this wellness program? You mentioned earlier a committee, but how do you go about grouping a committee together and then tracking the results of the wellness program? That's a great question. And if there isn't already a committee in place, definitely advertising that there's a need for one and making sure that there is, so you can obviously get in some volunteers to, to volunteer their timing and come be a part of it because you obviously want people excited to be a part of a committee helping develop these plans. But you also want to make sure you have some key people 
in there, one particular being the devil's advocate, the one that's going to be able to in- influence, you know, what actually gets approved and doesn't get approved from a budgetary standpoint. If you can't get an executive on the on the wellness committee who would obviously know whether or not um, certain things will get approved, you know, get their executive assistant or get someone else that would know, um, you know, if that's going to pan out for for you. When, when In regards to who's actually in charge of the different programs, again, you're going to have to get back to who can volunteer their time and who can get it approved by their manager to donate time toward the wellness program. And making sure you get that approved in advance is so crucial. To me, too often do I see companies that have all the ambition in the world and passion to get a wellness program off the ground, especially within an HR function, and then it fizzles because they have their own responsibilities in HR. So getting a certain amount of time, you know, approved, such as, you know, five hours a week or even 10 hours a month just to get it started and you, and and also coming back to management saying, hey, I just spent the five hours a week or I spent the 10 hours a month. These are the things I was able to accomplish. I need more time or I need someone else to donate, you know, five hours. Those, starting with that is going to be really critical for anyone that's trying to create an, an internal wellness program. Before you even start thinking about hiring an outside vendor, can you have someone, you know, that's already internal, just start tracking the different initiatives. And and I'd I'd start there and go from there. I mentioned one of the hardest, or I guess I should say challenging aspects of developing and running a wellness program would be actually tracking the results. What kind of tools out there are helpful for tracking results uh, program? Often we see groups, you know, working in Excel spreadsheets and just buried in, in data and there are tools out there that can simplify life. Uh, one tool that, that we use in particular for just managing just everyday tasks of getting things done is a tool called do.com, do.com. It's a free tool. Uh, you can sign up and have all of your wellness committee members, you know, with a, with a login and they can all see all the different projects and activities that might need to be accomplished throughout the year in terms of what communication plans need to go out or what survey tools that you're ready to, ready to launch. So you can put a really a, a, a roadmap built onto do.com. It's really um, lightweight, easy to use. There's not a lot of function and uh, kind of special features. It's really a basic tool that's easy to use. It even has an iPhone app so you can kind of manage your task um, that way. We also use a tool called uh, Incentive. It's I-N-C-E-E-T-E-E-V.com. And it's an online platform that allows you to track your different incentive-based programs, your challenge, your challenges. So it's a portal where you can have um, ongoing communication throughout your organization, especially if you have a diverse work group that is in multiple locations. That you creating a you know a central hub to communicate you know, information about wellness um, and the activities that they're doing. This is a place to do that. You can create quizzes on here. You can create um, you know challenges that are that are do based on time and everyone can log in and track everything and it's done automatically with back-end reporting you know for management and it's really affordable and it is customizable so you can even put your you know your wellness program logo on there as well too it's just another simple um, easy tool to use without a lot of bells and whistles Assuming that most employers choose to have a wellness program run on a calendar year or just uh, for a 12-month period, so once you've collected the data from the previous year, what do you think is the best way to figure out what changes need to be made uh, for the next program year? Um, obviously, looking at the data is, is the important thing, looking from year one to year two. So whatever you're going to be assessing in year one, whether it be 
uh, health risk assessment or, or a biometric screening, making sure you're doing that, you know, the, the following year so you can take a look at that data and then determine what, how you need to adjust your program. You know, did, did blood pressure go down if that was our goal for, for the year? If we were trying to lose weight, you know, as a whole, did that accomplish? Uh, did, were we able to accomplish, the, you know, that, that goal? We were trying to decrease our smoking population by 20%. Did we meet that goal? If not, what can we do differently this year to make that happen? Can we have a different smoking cessation program in place? Or do we have, do we need to include a, uh, new webinars throughout the year about the effects of, you know, negative effects of smoking? Or do we need to create some kind of a, a new kind of incentive plan to encourage people to, to get off of that? You know, obviously what policies are you putting into place to make sure that these goals are, are being met and the data is being shifted to more positive numbers? such as if we are, you know, looking at reducing our smoking population, but we still have a smoking area outside of our building, it, it, it really creates a, a conflict of interest that, that's there, and it makes it harder for us to, to make that happen. Can we put on the roadmap maybe in year two or year three and communicate that out to the employees that, hey, this is our goal. Down the road, we want to go smoke-free. So until then, we're going to provide you some tools and resources to quit smoking because by year two or year three, this will be a smoke-free campus. And so being able to take a look at that data can really guide you into what specific activities or initiatives or specific health risks that you can uh, focus on throughout the year. Benjamin, you mentioned a lot of good resources. So we'll make sure for listeners that are interested, we'll we'll put links up to those tools that you mentioned and, and links to your website that have some really good information that supports what uh, what we talked about today. Any parting thoughts before you, before you leave how do people get started? What, what should they do next? What I would do when you start with, with any, kind of, any kind of initiative is really start with a plan. Um, don't go into wellness, you know, just throwing spaghetti at a wall and hoping to see what sticks. Um, really going into it with, with the why, with the, with the purpose, and getting a committee together, a planning committee, and start talking about, you know, what would a wellness program mean to us? Or if you already have one, what could we do differently to make it more impactful and really start building that business case to senior management to get that funding or to get or to continue getting that, that funding or, or the budget, you know, for your wellness program. That one of the things that we definitely lack here in the wellness space is is the business case. It, we know that, that the intangibles that we're going to improve health and, and people are going to be more productive and, and be sick less, but we, we forget to provide any kind of data or reports back to senior leadership to show the progression of what we did, you know, in the previous year. Even if you're just starting out with the basic program and doing challenges throughout the year that you're made up on your own without any budget, even having reports that have participation reports and satisfaction reports are a great way to start saying, see, people are enjoying doing this. People want to do this. Um, and, and throwing out the employee interest survey from year to year or job satisfaction survey, showing some of that data. Are we actually improving you know, job satisfaction here, even if you can't do a health risk assessment or a biometric screening, you know, being able to show some data throughout time and being able to report that back, even if for your own records to show that you've actually done a good job and have actually imp- improved whatever area that you need to improve, that is where, that's the ending thoughts that, that, that I have for, for anybody that's uh, starting the wellness or wanting to take it to the next level is to, to really have those reports and, and really get senior leadership you know, on board and making sure that they understand where you're at and so they can help you get to the next level. 
Benjamin, you mentioned just a second ago biometric screening, and I know we did ours for the first time last year, and it's just, it's a huge undertaking, and it's something that employers are definitely want to offer a lot more of. So I'd like to have you back in the future just to talk about that subject alone, because I think it's it's worth discussing. So um, I'll leave you with that. And for listeners who want to learn more about you and Catalyst and what you do, where could they learn more? You can go to our website at www. Um, catalyst.com. It's K as in kite, A as in apple, D as in dog, A-L-Y-S-T. Or they can shoot us an email at info at catalyst.com or call us at 503-512-5175. Our guest today has been Benjamin Pridzin, founder of Catalyst. Thanks for being part of the program. Uh, Thanks for having me again. This podcast is produced by Zenium Resources, Inc., all rights reserved. For information on guests or for interview requests, please visit www.zeniumhr.com or email info at zeniumhr.com. Everything on this show should be considered educational and informational only and not personal advice. Please consult with the appropriate tax, legal, or business professional for individualized advice.